You know, Steve always does a tremendous job providing special music for us. But I was thinking when Pastor Dave started walking up there, we're going to get a real treat, a duet. <laughs> Pastor Steve and Pastor Dave up there. And, wow, this is going to be tremendous. But no, it wasn't to be. <laughs> Maybe next time. Well, we've come to the main message portion of our service now, so let's start with prayer. Oh, God, you're such a wonderful God, and not only did you send your son so many years ago to walk this earth to die for us, but you've left us your word, this book that we have that just is a window to understand you more deeply, to see you in action, to hear your words. It's such a blessing to us to have your, your written word along with the living word, Jesus Christ. So as we open our Bibles today, Lord, and read this precious word, uh, change us. We've come here today to be changed. So uh, just search our hearts and help us to not just understand these words with our brain, but help them to go right to our hearts, to change us literally. So Lord, thank you for this uh, opportunity. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, today, if I were to tell you that I'm going to give you a sermon on idolatry, you would probably think, what? Pastor John, we don't bow down to little images and statues and worship them. We don't do that sort of thing in this day and age. And I would agree with you. We don't really do that. You know, when you think of idolatry, you think of uh, especially things in the Old Testament. Well, New Testament, too. That that was a common practice back in uh, the Middle East and the different religions of the day. But uh, maybe it's better that I say to you, we're going to talk today about modern-day idolatry. Modern-day idolatry. Because idolatry still exists. Maybe not in the way we read about it in the Old Testament, especially. It's not just a part of ancient history, it's applicable today. So, I'm giving a sermon on modern-day idolatry. Let's see how it applies to us. Turn with me back to Exodus chapter 32. This is a chief example of uh, how easily, I guess you could say, it is to fall into the practice of idolatry. Now, we all know the story about ancient Israel how they spent centuries in slavery in Egypt. We all know the story. And one day, God decided to rescue this group of people, that they were going to become His people uh, through Abraham, you know, anciently. These are all descendants of Abraham, and God's plan was to rescue them out of their slavery in Egypt. So that's what happened. He called Moses. So many miracles took place. Remember when he commanded Moses to go to the Pharaoh to say, let my people go. And God proved his power and his dominance by providing many miracles to kind of soften the heart of the Pharaoh. Remember the river Nile was turned to blood. There were plagues of frogs. There were plagues of flies. There were plagues of this and that and all sorts of things took place. Uh, to soften up the heart of the Pharaoh so that he would release Israel from captivity. Finally ending with the death of the firstborn when the death angel went through the land, and that did it. After that, the Pharaoh turned them loose and said, get out of my country. So the Israelites escaped, but then the Pharaoh changed his mind, and he was going to go and capture them again because they were slaves and they were worth something to him. And then what God did was he parted the Red Sea so that the Israelites could walk through dry shod. 
Can you imagine what, would, what it was like in those days to, to walk through the Red Sea? You're walking along, you know, dry shod through this great sea, and you looked on one side, and there was all this water, fish swimming in it. You looked on this side, it was high water, walls of water on both sides, and here you were walking through that dry shod to your salvation, to get away from the Egyptian armies. So, tremendous miracles. God rescued his people. Now, on the other side of the Red Sea, of course, they were on their way to the Promised Land. God had a great Promised Land uh, just in time for a wonderful harvest of crops and all this. All they had to do was walk on their journey to the Promised Land. God was leading them, a pillar of fire by night, a pillar of cloud by day. God had it all planned out for them. And he was going to give them a law, laws to follow so that they could be blessed. So here's the Israelites after that whole episode seeing God's power and God's majesty at work. Here they were at Mount Sinai. And God says, okay, I want Moses to come up to the top of this mountain. I'm going to give Israel my law. So Moses, with some of the other elders, walks up to the top of the mountain. And he's up there for 40 days and 40 nights receiving God's law. And there's problems down below where all the Israelites are waiting for him to come back down. And we pick up the story here in Exodus 32, beginning in verse 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron, the high priest, and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing. Bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. How can this happen? Israel had just seen the power and the majesty of God. They had had all these miracles performed on their behalf so that they could be physically rescued and saved from slavery in Egypt. Moses is up on the mountain for 40 days and they can't even wait that long. And immediately they come up with the idea of making their own gods to worship. And they fashion this idol in, in the shape of a calf made out of gold and they're ready to, to follow this calf, this simple, stupid idol made of gold. They're going to claim now that this is their God instead of the real God who rescued them. How crazy. How insane. But I, I put this to you. We are capable of the same mistake because we have a God who rescued us, didn't he? Out of slavery to sin. By his grace and his mercy and the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, we have been rescued from our sins. He has told us, your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. I am the God who does this. I am the God who sent my son to die for you. And I dare say that we are capable, even after all of that has happened to our benefit as a blessing to us, 
to turn from God and to worship other things. Do you, do you believe that that's possible for Christians today? Now, I'm not talking about making a calf out of gold, but I'm talking about worshiping other things, putting other things in the place of God, putting a priority on things rather than the true God. For Israel, it was the gods of other nations that they followed throughout their history. When you read through the Old Testament, there's a whole history of Israel worshiping God and then turning from God. And they're worshiping the gods and the goddesses of other nations. And then bad things happen to them. Then they turn to God again and worship him for a while. Maybe a good king comes along and kind of turns the whole nation around. But shortly after that, they turn from God again. And they continually go through this cycle of God, false gods. The real God, pagan gods. Uh, the true God, uh, whatever God they happen to fashion and uh, see the other nations worshiping. That's their history. It went back and forth continually. And today, idolatry remains a powerful tool that Satan uses to turn us away from God. You know, there's a commandment that God gave us in Exodus 20, verse 3. I think it's the second commandment, if I'm not mistaken. Well, the first one here, he says, uh, Exodus 20, verse 1, God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, you think to yourself, well, I don't worship uh, Astarte. I don't worship uh, Zeus or uh, Jupiter or some of the well-known ancient and pagan gods. But there are other things that we worship. And I want to talk a little bit about them today. You know, uh, all the various forms of modern idolatry have one thing at their core, and it is self. So what I'm saying is the main form of the idolatry that we can fall in today centers around us, okay? We no longer bow down to idols and images. Instead, we worship at the altar of the God of self. We put ourselves before the true God. This brand of modern idolatry takes various forms. I want to talk about four different ways that we practice idolatry or we worship other gods, and it basically turns out to be centered around ourself. Okay? Let me, let me read through a, a couple of these. First, number one, we worship at the altar of materialism. Okay, write this down, materialism. But still, it involves us. It involves the self. The altar of materialism, which feeds our need to build our egos through the acquisition of more stuff. Our homes are filled with all manner of possessions. We build bigger and bigger houses with more closets and storage space in order to house all the things we buy, much of which we haven't even paid for yet. Most of our stuff has planned obsolescence in it, making it useless in no time. And so we consign it to the garage or other storage space. 
Then we rush out to buy the newest item, garment or gadget, and the whole process starts over. So this insatiable desire for more, for better, and newer stuff is nothing more than covetousness. The Tenth Commandment tells us not to fall victim to coveting. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. God doesn't just want to rain on our buying spree. He knows we will never be happy indulging our materialistic desires because it is Satan's trap to keep our focus on ourselves and not on him. Have you ever felt <laughs> that you've been drawn in that direction? I know I have. That becomes your main focus, buying things. It can be cars, it can be a house, it can be a clothing, it can be the latest toy. You know, they show on the news when the, the latest Apple phone comes out that the people are lined up, ready to pay $1,000 for each one of them because they want the latest gadget. They gotta keep up to date with the latest technology. That's what they're drawn to. And that becomes a priority to them over God. And I dare say that we can fall prey to that same sort of thing, that our focus, our main goal is materialistic because it's all about us. It's all about us. So that's one way, one altar that we worship at, materialism. A second altar that we worship at is our own pride and ego our own pride and ego. This often takes the form of obsession with careers and jobs. Millions of men and increasingly more women spend 60 to 80 hours a week working. Even on the weekends and during vacations, our laptops are humming and our minds are whirling with thoughts of how to make our businesses more successful how to get that promotion, how to get the next raise, how to close the next deal. In the meantime, our children are starving for attention and love. We fool ourselves into thinking we are doing it for them to give them a better life, but the truth is we are doing it for ourselves to increase our self-esteem by appearing more successful in the eyes of the world. This is folly. All our labors and accomplishments will be of no use to us after we die. Nor will the admiration of the world, because these things have no eternal value. As Solomon put it, for a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his days his work is pain and grief. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. That's Ecclesiastes 2, verses 21 through 23. So many people today worship at that altar, the altar of pride and ego. And it doesn't just revolve around your job. It can revolve around other things because our ego seems to be involved everywhere, usually with just about everything we do. So we've seen the altar of materialism, number two, the altar of our pride and ego. 
Number three, the third altar that we worship at today is the altar of naturalism and the power of science. We cling to the illusion that we are lords of our world and build our self-esteem to God-like proportions. We reject God's word and his description of how he created the heavens and the earth, and we accept the nonsense of atheistic evolution and naturalism. We embrace the goddess of environmentalism and fool ourselves into thinking we can preserve the earth indefinitely when God has declared that this current age will have an end. He said, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed his coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and new earth, the home of righteousness. That's 2 Peter 3, verses 10 through 13. So as this passage states, our focus should not be on worshiping the environment, but on living holy lives as we wait eagerly for the return of our Lord and Savior. He alone deserves worship. But again, today, many people worship at that altar. They dedicate their lives to the preservation of this earth, uh, the livestock, the uh, creatures of this earth. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm not saying, what I'm saying is that shouldn't be our priority in life. So there are three altars, materialism, our own pride and ego, naturalism and the power of science. And a fourth one for you to consider. Finally, and perhaps most destructively, we worship at the altar of fulfillment of the self, self-aggrandizement to the exclusion of all others and their needs and desires. This manifests itself in self-indulgence, through things like alcohol, drugs, sex, food. Those in affluent countries have unlimited access to alcohol, drugs, and food. Obesity rates in the U.S. have skyrocketed, and childhood diabetes brought on by overeating is epidemic. The self-control we so desperately need is spurned in our insatiable desire to eat, drink, and medicate more and more. We resist any effort to get us to curb our appetites, and we are determined to make ourselves the God of our lives. This has its origin in the Garden of Eden, where Satan tempted Eve to eat of the tree with the words, you will be like God. This has been man's desire ever since, to be God. And as we have seen, the worship of self is the basis of all modern idolatry. So you think about that, you know, we often put ourselves, our needs, our desires before God. Let's turn to 1 John 2, verse 16. 1 John 2, verse 16. So idolatry is talked about not just in the Old Testament, when people were prone to bow down before little statues, but it's also mentioned in the New Testament. Whereas Christians, we should know better. 
So 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16. says this, pick it up in verse 15, 1 John 2, 15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has done, he, or what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. So in other words, God is trying to bring us back to center. And he wants us to ask the question, who are we and why are we here? Well, we have been enlightened by God to know who we are, that we are his children. He is the one who created us. He is the one who placed us on this earth. And that's priceless knowledge. You know, the older you get, and I'm speaking for myself too, you start to think about things like that. You start to consider what you've accomplished in your life. And you look around this world and you think, you know, when it comes right down to it, how did I get here? You know, one day I was born, I came into this world, and I've gone through, you know, 60 some odd years now living my life in this world, and what's the purpose of it? And then I kind of come back to reality and think, well, you know what? I'm a son of God. He is the one who gave me life. He is the one who sustains me every day. This whole earth has been created by him. I'm not one of those who worship at the altar of science thinking that, well, this all evolved somehow. And, uh, you know, uh, life came out of some swamp uh, with just the right chemicals in the swamp. And all of a sudden creatures started walking out of it. No. God says, don't believe that junk. I created you. I'm the one who gave you life. I'm the one who has sustained you, and now I've called you into relationship with me. You know, for so many years now, we've had the pleasure of living in that relationship with God, uh, growing to know him and appreciate him and love him. And, you know, as we get older and older and our life, you know, starts winding down, we have that peace we have that understanding. We have that hope for the future because God has a plan for us. Not only has he been with us throughout this life, but he wants to be with us for all eternity. So he has given us a calling. Thankfully, we've responded to that calling. We've heard the gospel. We believed it. We now have faith in it. And even that faith is a gift from him. Amen. So that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. We're not like these people in the world bowing down to different altars, you know, putting their priorities on things that are not going to last. And in some cases are not even true. We put our faith and now our focus on God. We live for Him. Our lives are living sacrifices to Him. He is the one we bow down before. No pagan, idolatrous altar for us. So God must have our full priority. So is God the priority of your life? Now it's good that we come here once a week to worship Him as a, as a church family. That's essential. That's really wonderful. But our relationship with God is not just an hour and a half on Sunday morning. It's 24-7. We enjoy reading His Word 
all the time, whenever we get the opportunity, not just at church. We enjoy praying to Him anytime. We're instant in prayer, not just for an hour and a half at church. We love to hear His Word because we love Him. So, are we capable of falling into idolatry like the ancient Israelites did after God had done so much for them? Yes, we are. Because we live in an idolatrous world. There's idolatry, there are false gods all around us. And Satan can use, us, use that to root us out of a relationship with God. So we have to be very careful. Turn with me to uh, what Jesus said in Matthew ch chapter 6, beginning in verse 20. Matthew 6 and verse 20. I think Jesus warns us of this same sin that we're capable of falling into. The sin of idolatry. Matthew 6, verse 20. And you know, the form of idolatry can differ for each of us. Satan may be trying to drag you or to uh, coerce you into worship a, a particular God that might be different from what he's trying to get me to worship. We need to be on guard. It's not just one particular idol you know, for the whole group. It's different idols for different people. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 6, beginning in verse 20. Store up your, yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So a good way of determining what you worship is what you consider your treasure to be. Is God your treasure? Are physical things your treasure? Are other people your treasure? Because that's where your heart is, where your treasure is, what you consider to be most precious in your life. So we need to be careful. He says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. You can't serve God and something else. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. In this case, he says, you cannot serve both God and money, or God and anything else. What is the priority of your life? And is it reflected in what you spend your time doing? So our priority has to be God. He's the only altar that we worship that we bow down before. And like I said, we're here today doing that, and that's good. But you need to look at your own personal life. <coughs> Excuse me. What can ever come between you and God? It's not just things, it can be people. I remember over the years counseling people for baptism, and somebody started coming to church, and they were really interested in it. Excuse me while I put a throat lozenge in my mouth. They started coming to church and they showed a great deal of interest, <coughs> but they had a negative influence in their life. And it turned out not to be a, per a thing, but a person. <coughs> Satan was using a person. Can you give me some water? <coughs> Satan was using a person that they knew to drag them out of the church. It was almost like, let's say a girl, young girl was coming to church getting interested in the Lord, starting to believe the gospel, reading her Bible. 
but she had a friend, a guy, who, I don't know, he was jealous of God. He was jealous that she was now spending so much time going to church and not spending time with him that he started to use his influence on her to try to get her to stop going to church. He said to her, you know, if you keep going with this Christian business, our relationship is over. So this young lady was just torn. She loved this guy, but she also was growing to love the Lord. Thank you, dear. And in counseling her, I said, you know what? You're going to have to make a decision. Who is more important to you? Is it going to be the Lord or is it going to be this guy? You know, if you love the Lord, he can provide someone for you to love and someone who will love you. And she took a long time thinking about that. And finally, she made the decision as the weeks went on that following the Lord was more important to her than to, to hang with this guy. So she made the decision to end that relationship. And it was a good decision. It was the right decision because for some reason, this guy was seeking to pull her away from God. And I think Satan was using the guy, probably unbeknownst to him, because he was only thinking about himself and his happiness. And he wanted to be with this young lady and kind of hang out with her. <coughs> so she made a good decision. She decided to stick with God, to stick with coming to church. You know, it wasn't but probably about six months later that she met a really nice Christian guy. They started a relationship and they ended up getting married and becoming very strong in the church and very strong disciples of Jesus Christ and followers of the Lord. So if she would have decided to remain in idolatry, she would have put this guy who was pulling her away from the Lord as the priority, but she didn't. And she, she, decided, she decided well, in other words, to pick God instead. And sometimes we have to make that own decision, that same decision in our lives. What if your boss comes to you and says, you know, I got an opportunity for you to make a lot more money, but it's going to require you work on Sundays. What's more important to you? Is it the money and the extra income, which you probably can use, or is it going to be having God as your priority and coming to church on a regular basis and worshiping him? So sometimes it requires making tough decisions in our lives. But if you're going to come out of idolatry, whatever form of idolatry you're in, and whatever it is that is pulling you away from a relationship with God, you've got to make the right decision, and you've got to agree that God is the most important thing in your life. So, you know, I've seen other examples, too, when it comes to relationships of... Uh, uh, talking about married people... Uh, I've seen married couples, you know, where only one is called and the other one just makes life miserable for them, you know, if they're going to continue to be a Christian. And I'm not saying that it's a good thing to end a marriage, but uh, it required a lot of prayer on the part of the person who was called to Christianity uh, to at least make the home setting livable for their mate to come to at least accept and give permission for them to go to church and to worship and to, to develop as a Christian. 
So there are a lot of different factors to take into consideration. There are a lot of different scenarios. But what I'm trying to bring out is you've got to look at your life and you've got to see if there's anything that is drawing you away from God, trying to force themselves or itself as a prior, priority in your life, where you send, start to worship that rather than making God your priority and worshiping him only. There's a scripture that says that God is a jealous God. You know, after what he has done for you, he wants you to have him as a priority in your life. Amen. You know, my wife wants me to have her as a priority in my life. And, you know, below God, she is the priority in my life. She is the one I love. She is the one I married. And she's jealous in that regard. And I'm jealous for her, too. I don't want her going around, you know, talking to other men and getting real chummy with them. In her job, she has to do that, and that's understandable. But, you know, there's a certain type of godly jealousy that we have. And God is jealous. He wants to be number one in your life. He certainly deserves it, doesn't he? Based on what he's done for you. I mean, the miracles that he's performed in your life, the salvation he's given you through his son, and we've had miracles in our lives just like the Israelites had miracles in their lives. And based on what God has done, he deserves to be number one. Turn with me now to Colossians 3. Colossians 3. And we'll begin in verse 1 here. I think this is good advice for us when we consider this whole subject of uh, idolatry in our lives. We're all capable of it. Colossians 3, beginning in verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Okay, based on what God has done for you, the miracles he's performed in your life, the salvation he now gives you by his grace, since all of that has happened, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He tells us where our priority should be. So he tells us in verse uh, 5, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, what are all those things? They're idolatry. Why are they idolatry? Because it's all about you. You pleasing yourself in all these different ways. And what God is trying to say, it's not about you. God says, it's about me. Respond to what I've done for you now. Be thankful. Be appreciative. Make me number one in your life. Because I'm a jealous God. I purchased you with the price, the price of my own son, his life, his death on the cross. And why should we be called out of idolatry, verse 6? Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to one another since you have taken off your old self with its practices 
and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And we're all the same in this regard. He goes on to say, no matter what your background is, no matter what your nationality is, no matter what your color is, we've all been called in the name of Jesus Christ. We all share that calling and that blessing. We all share in God's grace. So idolatry today, in the year 2018, yes. But it's not the same as it was. It doesn't involve physical idols and, and images and statues that we bow down to. But is idolatry existent today? You better believe it is. And the real scary thing is that it all centers around ourselves. Amen. In a sense, we worship ourselves and we seek to please ourselves and our priority is on ourselves and our purpose in life is for ourselves. God says, no. Based on what I've done for you, as a response to what I've done for you and continue to do for you and will do for you in the future for all eternity, you need to make me number one in your life. Amen. And whatever changes that may involve, you better seek to do that. We have God's warning on this, but it's not just a warning. He says it out of love because he has a plan and a purpose for us and it involves being with him for all eternity. And he doesn't want us to fail from it. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, help us to be beware of idolatry in this world today and in our lives today. Help us to get our eyes off of ourselves. Lord Jesus, you came to this earth to be a servant. Give us that same spirit of servant, servitude. Help us to be about others. Help us to be about you, God, especially. Help us to dedicate ourselves to serving others and get our minds off of ourselves. You're going to take care of us. We don't have to worry about that. But help us to make you the priority in our lives. Lord, we want a life with you that's going to last forever. And we can't even imagine what that's going to be like, but it's going to be great. It's going to be on our wildest expectations. So help us, Lord, never to fail, never to stray from our calling, and to keep our priorities where they need to be. With your help, we can do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.